Um, so we are in a series we're calling Vital Signs. It's a study of the book of James. Um, James, the half-brother of Jesus, such, a, such an interesting guy. And we talked about in the introduction, James didn't believe in who Jesus was and the things that he did when Jesus was alive. It wasn't until James encountered the risen Christ that he put all the dots together and realized that, oh my gosh, my big brother really is who he said he was. And he kind of turned everything around and um, just made himself um, just a great conduit for God's love and grace and, and his word and his power. So I just feel like it's really important for us to, to dive into this book. Question. Ready? Just throw out an answer. What, um, what is the most important thing when it comes to an individual's health? Just throw it out. What? Heart? Freezing? <laughs> Breathing. Breathing. Okay. All right. Um, how I would suggest to you, and there are other experts who, um, where I get this information, would suggest to you that your nutrition is the single most important factor in, in your health. Um, doesn't matter how much weight you can lift or how fast you can run or for how long you can run. Um, those things are all secondary to your, your nutrition. And unless you are Michael Phelps, a freak of nature, and work out six hours a day, you cannot out-train a bad diet. I've tried, and you just you can't do it. Um, similarly, I would suggest to you that foundational to our spiritual health um, and what would be a critical vital sign of spiritual health would be our thought life. What we do, everything that we think, or everything that we do and say starts with a thought. Good, bad, indifferent, ugly, kind, it all starts with a thought. And James is just like, we're not even through chapter one, and three different, three different times we've looked at this, and James is just really hammering on this point of our, of our thought life. And week one, we talked about James, a servant of God, and the whole premise there was that what you are most committed to will shape your thoughts. And we want to be most committed to Jesus and let Jesus shape our thoughts. Last week we talked about consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when we face trials of many kinds. Our, our big idea there was that we want to decide, we want to think about ahead of time that we are going to trust God no matter what is going on around us. We're going to thankfully trust God. This week I'm going to suggest to you that our thoughts are the first steps towards either life or death. What goes on up here affects everything else, and it's the very, it's the very beginning. So we're going to look at James. We're in chapter 1, and I think we're starting in verse 13. Not I think, I know. We're starting in verse 13. Here we go. I'm going gonna, um, gonna to read it through once, verse 13 through 18, and then we'll go through and we'll kind of pick apart the, the verses. Sorry, my page just turned. Wind. Right, where's the... When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. 
Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James 1, 13 through 18. So if we could just put uh, verse 13 up there, Bruce, and leave that up there for a little bit. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. So I want to draw a, a dividing line, some, make some delineation between this idea of temptation and testing. If you have a church background, if you know your Bible, even if you were just here last week, you might be thinking, well, what we talked about last week, that's kind of like that could be viewed as a temptation, test, what, what is it? Um, throughout the Bible, God tests his people. Um, he, you know, he, he tested the nation of Israel. He tested David. He tested Abraham. He tested Jesus when he sent him into the, into the wilderness. Tests are things that God will send into our lives or allow into our lives that are meant to grow us and help us develop and mature us. Like we talked about last week, we get to that point where we're not lacking in anything, but our faith has been perfected. Temptation, as it's referred to here, is the exact opposite of that, actually. It's something that's thrown in our way whose intent is meant to bring us down, to destroy us, to belittle us, to make us feel like crud to cause us to sin, to eventually lead us to death. So we're going to talk a little bit more about, not a little bit, a lot more about this um, in a few minutes. But this idea of God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It speaks to the character of God. Um, God himself is perfect. The Bible refers to him as holy, holy, holy. Three times over in, in biblical language is perfection. He is without blemish, uh, without, without sin, without fault, without flaw. So with that being said, he cannot be induced to sin. Therefore, he cannot put something in someone's path that would induce them to sin. It's against his character. God cannot violate his own character. He would cease, he would cease to be God. But we're going we're gonna to drill down more into that as, as we move along and we get into some of these further verses. Let's go ahead and put up the next slide. Okay, I have some stuff highlighted. We're going to kind of hit on those highlights as we move along. Each person is tempted. Just like trials, every single one of us is going to face temptations. There's nobody excused. We all are going to have things in our lives that are going to try to lead us astray, try to distract our attention from God, try to get in the way of God. No exceptions. Are dragged away. So the, the language here, this dragged away, sort of paints a picture of a baited fish hook. And I'm, I'm not much of, a, much of a fisherman, but I have, like, you know, gone to Canoebrook Lake and thrown a line in and caught some sunnies. Um, but a, a baited fish hook, let's, let's think about that for a second. There's something on the hook. It's meant to be alluring. Right, the hook itself. Sometimes the lure is shiny. It spins. It's meant to. It's meant to attract attention. So things in our lives that are like that, um, 
things that are new, right? A novelty might attract our attention, might, you know, catch us out of the, oh, 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 what, ooh, something shiny, something new. Um, it could be something that we feel like we're missing out on, right? Oh, that's going on over there, and I don't have that going on in my life. Maybe if I had that. You know, the idea of, of missing something or someone that would complete us. It's kind of that shiny, distracting thing, alluring. The, the, the other thing that's interesting about this concept of dragging away this baited, this baited fish hook is like from the fish's perspective, it, it appears to meet a legitimate need. It's like, oh, it's food. I'm hungry. So I should go get some food. But it, it doesn't end well. Um, there's the idea of, of forbidden fruit. Like, oh, I know I'm not supposed to have that. Like that sleeve of Oreos, that's really, you know, um, so we don't have it. I did this once with a, with a group of middle schoolers and high schoolers. We, were, we had other food out. We were gathering together, and I put out a bowl of M&Ms with a sign on it, do not touch. Everything else they could have but that one bowl, and everybody was just freaking out about that one bowl. I'm like, well, what about the pizza? There, there's like... Krispy Kreme donuts over there. Why, why, why can't I have an M&M? <laughs> Throw a party sometime and do that. Just, you know, a little social experiment. Um, but the idea of, of forbidden fruit is something that, like, ooh, I can't have it, so maybe I, I need it, and it will, it will make me somehow, somehow better. So those things, they allure us, they attract us. We think they're going to meet a need that we have. And then, so we spend a little time thinking about them. Oh, that new thing, that new thing, that new thing. Right? The hook is set. The little fishing that I've done, I know that that's a good feeling. When I see the bobber go down and the little tug on the line, it's like, oh, I got one. And I pull back a little bit, and then the hook is in. You're like, ah, and the fish gets dragged away. And the fish gets pulled up out of water, and the fish stops breathing. And maybe Ronnie's got some up on his wall. I'm not a good enough fisherman to have any up on my wall, but... Um, all it takes, right, is that little lingering extra thought for what could be just a fleeting passing, oh, okay, that's a thought, turns into a temptation, and then that hook gets set, and it drags us, it drags us away. I have their own highlighted. This idea of temptation, right, so I have temptations, and what might be a temptation for me, you might look at and be like, easy, why, why do you struggle with that? And that vice versa might be true. You might have something in your life, and it might be like, I got that, no problem. I don't know what your deal is. So here's what I would say about that, folks. Don't be judgy jerks, right? We all have stuff. We all have stuff, and it's all hard. And your stuff is no harder than my stuff, and my stuff is no harder than your stuff, but just be gracious to one another in, in how we think about and view our, our temptations. This idea of desire. So desire is anything that impedes our pursuit of God. And it could be what might appear to be a good thing, could be an obviously bad thing. But it's anything that we choose, like we talked about in the first week, to make ultimate. It's anything that we choose to put in the place that God designed for him to have in our lives. That, that evil, that desire when things get in the way of God. All right, next slide. 
Here we go. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Uh, James, so as we're going along, James says, my dear brothers and sisters, that's like, just keep your eye on that because that means he's about to like say something hard or tell you to like give you a, a command or, or an encouragement. He's like, I love you. You're my family. But we got to do this, this, or this. Um, my dear brothers and sisters, don't be deceived. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, every good thing in your life is a gift from God. Wait, 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 wait. I work really, really hard. Yep, I'm sure you do. Who gave you the ability to work hard? I mean, I've, I've earned, you know, I've earned some nice money. That's, that's my money. Well, who gave you the ability to generate wealth, to create wealth? All right, but, I, you know, there's like laws about this kind of stuff. I have ideas. This is intellectual property. <laughs> who, who gave you? You are created in the image of God. The, the ultimate creative source. I could keep going, right? Um, but those are, those are gifts of what we would call common grace. God has given those to all people. All people. The next level of that is for those who are in relationship with Christ. There's almost limitless gifts that we have at our disposal. Peace. Power. Not to mention eternal life. So those are all good and perfect gifts. Have you guys ever received a gift from somebody, even a great gift from somebody who you're not, maybe they're not really for me. Like, it's possible to receive a gift from somebody who doesn't have your best interest in mind. What's impossible is for someone with a perfect character to give anything but a good and perfect gift. So I'm, uh, um, I'm going to tell you a story that will hopefully illustrate this for us. Uh, I dated a girl for four years throughout, you know, my senior year in high school and, and most, of, most of college. And we're coming into our senior year, and I'm like, we've been together for a long time. We love each other. I think I'm going to ask this girl to marry me. And I, like, started formulating a plan in my head. Right, and I had, I had all the details laid out, and I was figuring it out. And um, we were long-distance dating. So she came to visit one weekend. And we're, I still, we're in the parking lot behind my dorm. And we're in the car, and we're talking. And um, she says, yeah, yeah, I, I want to be married. Not to you. <laughs> um, Still kind of takes my breath away, right? But um, I, I was completely devastated, right? It, it undid me. I, I, the next six, eight months were just a mess, right? I had been trying to walk with Jesus for about four years at that point. Um, and I fell back into a bunch of bad habits and a bunch of bad relationships. And I got mad at God because I felt like 
what, of course, this is, this is right. This is what's supposed to happen. Um, fast forward, my wife, Gail, was not that girl. <laughs> um, 24 years of, of unexaggerated wedded bliss. Thank you, Jesus. Um, God had something better in mind. I thought I knew what was right, and I got mad at God. I'm like, God, and I blamed him for all the drinking and the bad relationships and the stupid stuff that I did when my world came undone. And I blamed God. It wasn't God's fault. God didn't tempt me in any of that stuff. Can we put up Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11? Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I was asking God for something. And it was the wrong thing. And he didn't let me have it. Instead, he gave me an even better, I'm not going to call my wife a thing, but <laughs> better, <laughs> he gave he gave me so much better. Um, the theology of it is a little screwy, but if you're a country music fan, go listen to Garth Brooks' Unanswered Prayers. It tells a very, tells a very similar, similar story. There is no unanswered prayer. God hears them and answers them all, but we can argue Garth Brooks' theology later. Um, okay. So... That's scripture, right? Matthew 7. That's a, one of the stories of Jesus' life. Scripture is our foundation. It's what we should turn to. It's what should guide us. It's what should direct us. However, God is good. His character is perfect. So he knows that sometimes those of us who are trying to walk with him might need something in addition, other. I'm not saying scripture is not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we're incomplete. And that what we have a complete source, but we don't access it fully. But God is so good that he would come up with other means in which to reach us and remind us of his goodness. Um, can we have this slide, the next verse from James, please? It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. That phrase is meant to draw our attention to the sky, in amazement and in awe at what God has done in his creation. We don't even have to, like, get crazy into this. If we just look at one thing, we look at the sun. The sun is 93 million miles from earth. It takes eight minutes for light to get from the sun to here. The sun is the exact right distance from the earth to keep water in a liquid state, which is necessary for human life. That's pretty impressive. What about this? Bruce, can we put up the picture of the sun? Okay, cool. I'm going to just paraphrase what that says. On the surface of the sun, every second, I don't remember the exact number, it's something like a gabillion, four hydrogen atoms collide, and they come together and they form one helium atom. And in addition to that one helium atom, energy is released. It's basically an explosion. And it, it happens over and over and over and over and over and over again in one second. 
That's where the sun gets its energy. That's where we get the heat. That's where we get the light. There's enough hydrogen in the sun for it to keep burning, what is the number there, for 5 billion years. The God who created that is for you. The power that created that is for you. The engineering mind that came up with that is for you. It happened a long time ago. The rest of that verse says God doesn't change like the shifting shadows. It's just the same today as it was at the moment when God spoke that into creation. And just how truly good and awesome God is. I don't know if any of you guys are early risers. Bruce, can we put that next picture up? I don't know if you can see this, but this was this morning. I'm on my way. I just stopped at Starbucks, and I look over my shoulder, and I see this amazing, brilliant sunrise. How cool of God to just give me that picture on a morning when, when we're talking about, about this. So um, God, is, God is good. He was good in the beginning, is now, and, and will be forever, and he's for us. So we cannot... Um, we cannot blame him. What's the next slide we have there, Bruce? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James's audience were among the first of billions of followers of Christ. They heard the gospel of Jesus, the greatest gift ever given, ever spoken for the, for the first time. This gift of, of new life in Christ, of recreation, of the, the God of the universe entering into our lives so that we could live in relationship with him into eternity. When he comes into our lives, he lives inside of us, and we then... We then have the ability to take control of our thoughts. We don't have to be controlled by them. We don't have to be, ooh, shiny thing, and distracted. We can have our eyes fixed on Jesus and move forward because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when we come into relationship with him, the greatest gift ever given leads to our ability to control our thoughts, which in turn will guide and direct um, the rest of our lives. I wanted, to, I wanted to spend the rest of our time just trying to be super, super tactical because for some of us, this is like, you don't know. You don't know the temptation. You don't know the stuff that's in my life that I have just not been able to shake. I've tried. I've tried. Um, and I do, I do recognize that, um, and I'm not, like, to be super practical and tactical about it is not meant to say that this is, this is easy. These are just some things that have worked in my life, and these are things that have worked in the lives of people who have been following Jesus through, throughout time. So we put up that verse from 2 Corinthians. You guys, if, sorry, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. If you have a device, if you're a techie person, you go to crossroadct.info. And across uh, the very first card you'll come to will be like basically my outline. And all the scripture that is behind this, all the scripture that's up on the screen, 
is, is available to you in there. You can take notes in there and then turn around and, and email it uh, to yourself so you can have it for, for later reference. This is from 2 Corinthians. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So here, that, right, our big idea, folks, our, our thoughts are the first steps to either life or death. And what we need to do is we need to identify those things that will lead us astray. And strictly by statistical research, um, I'm going to throw three things out there. And because of what statistics say, I can tell you that pretty much everybody in this room is affected by at least one of these things. These thoughts that we have to, to capture and, and take captive. First one is pornography. Second one is alcohol. And the third one is gossip. Right? I know that each of us, in some way, shape, or form, felt a little like, ooh, when I said one of those phrases. And it's because they're one of those shiny hooks. Think about how you respond at the end of a long day. Or maybe your immediate reaction to rejection. Or an argument. Or what about a relationship that is is struggling or has ended? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? When, when we face, or maybe even the flip side of that, right? It was something really good. You get some downtime for the first time in a while. Or I get to go away for a couple days. Where does your mind immediately go? may not be one of the three things I referenced, but there's something that your mind immediately goes to. So we have to, we have to identify what those things are for what they are. Um, the idea of, of relief, the idea of, of comfort, they're just these little, these little thoughts, right? Oh, so just, you know, just a little look. I'll just have a little drink. Just a little venting. They're all just thoughts, right? At first, they're just thoughts. And then if we allow them to marinate, the hook gets set. And then once the hook is set, it controls us instead of us controlling it. So that's the first thing. We have to, we have to identify those things. When we're faced with a situation, good or bad, where does our mind immediately go? And we got to grab it. We got to take that captive. Right? We identify it. Bruce, put up that li- those four things. Identify it. So once we've identified it, one of the best things you can do is to get some help. The church word for that is accountability. Right? It's just... It's having the guts to invite somebody into your mess. It's saying, look, I struggle with this thing. And it would be great, like, if I knew you were in my corner. If you would have the bravery to open up to somebody, somebody you trust, somebody you know well. I don't, please don't do this with a stranger on the street or in just somebody you just met. But somebody you trust and you know well, invite them Invite them into whatever 
that struggle is that, that you have. And let them help you. I mean, there have been times in my life when I've, I've been able to do that, and somebody's been able to walk alongside me, and I, I wasn't, they were carrying me in, you know, for some of that time. That's what we're supposed to do. We love God, love others, right? We lean in. We take care of each other, whether we're doing great or we're struggling. The idea of accountability is huge, and um, it's vastly important in the process of taking our thoughts captive. Uh, the next thing I would suggest to you is the idea of not just prayer, but prayer and fasting. When we're in a relationship with Jesus, we have access to weapons that we normally wouldn't have access to. God wants to hear from us. God wants to know what's going on in our lives. He wants to know the things that we're struggling with. He's given us an open invitation to confess, to say we're sorry. And it's not, it doesn't have any caveats on it. We confess our sins to God and we are assured that he forgives us. We do that in prayer. We layer onto that this idea of fasting. It's like training. If you think of the ability to say no as a muscle, it's like training the no muscle. We fast things. Like if you've never fasted before, I would not encourage you to do a 40-day no food fast. Um, start out with something small, right? Give up sugar. Give up negativity. Give up social media. Start with something that you can say no to and develop that muscle so when you're faced with a situation of things that you can't say no to right now, you're, you're in a much better position to do it. Right? And then there's what goes on in the, like in the spiritual realm when we fast. Right? That, there's something about that that calls, you know, we fight these fights with temptation on one front, right? And history will tell us that if we can get a, an enemy to engage on two different fronts when they're not ready for that, we have a better chance at winning. So we're, we're going at this thing in our own physical power. And then we fast and we invite Jesus into that and we engage it at a spiritual level. So we're coming at this thing from, from two sides. You know, we finished in the month of September, we did 21 days of prayer and fasting. You guys, who's, who's a part of that? There was like close to 70 people who participated in that. And I heard over and over and over again how people were amazed that like, you know, I committed to not be on my phone during such and such time. Like I spent more time with my kids. I was like reading my Bible. There was just, there was stuff going on. There was stuff happening when we engage at a deeper level, when we engage at an additional level, the idea of prayer and fasting, we are better positioned to take hold of our thoughts rather than our thoughts taking hold of us. Last one, memorize scripture. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 11. I know there's a handful of guys in this room that have committed that verse to memory because they struggle with things like alcohol and pornography and gossip. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Having God's word at our fingertips, at our mental disposal, having that as a predominant thought rather than 
shiny, alluring, pretty, distracting, will guide us and protect us. It will help keep us focused on him. I, didn't, um, I mentioned I came to faith towards the end of high school. I was 18 um, when I was introduced to Jesus. And up until that point, um, my life consisted of football and parties. And that was every bit of energy I had went into, went into those two things. And when I got introduced to, to Jesus, Jesus started putting some things on my heart and mind. Things that were like, okay, I want to be first in your life. And these things need to, to either go away or take a back seat. And I had a friend who um, had a similar background. And he suggested that I memorize this verse, that, he, that I memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has taken hold of you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. When you are tempted, he will provide a way for you to stand up underneath it. I'm not sure if that's exactly what it says up there, um, but that was how I memorized it. And there, were, there are still occasions to this day when that verse will run through my head when I'm in a situation where that hook is like catching my eye. No temptation has taken hold of you. God is faithful. He'll give you a way out. He'll give you a way out. That's how good God is. Not only is God not the one that tempts us, but when we find ourselves going down that road, looking at that hook, if we expand our field of vision, we'll see that God has provided a way to get out from underneath it. It's not easy. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's easy. But God does give us tools, right? We identify them. We ask for help. We pray and we fast. And we commit this, we commit God's word to memory. Those cards that you received when you came in, on one side it has 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And on the other side, I believe it's Philippians 4, 8. Right? One of the things, we don't need to rid our minds of the kind of the negative stuff, the stuff that's going to drag us down. We need to fill it with the godly stuff. That's like the two sides of that card. So do me a favor. Keep that card with you this week. Try to commit one or both of those to memory. It's just one verse on each side. You guys can do it. I know you can. And put that, put that scripture to, to work for you. So we're going to give you guys the rest of the time um, to, you know, we're going we're gonna to watch a video here in a second. Uh, the band's going to come up and do some more music. And the idea of the remainder of our time together is that we would focus on the goodness of God. And that when we realize um, how good God is and that gift that he's given us in relationship with him, that we can fight this stuff, we can fight things like pornography addiction or substance or that urge to gossip. That it's when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we're aware that there's so much more, right? The reality, there's so much more than the shiny hooks that could lead us away and drag us away into death. There's so much more. And that all starts with recognizing how good God is.